Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Precision Rifle Channel podcast. I am here with my good friend Adam Vaught. Adam, how are you, sir? Doing good. How about yourself? I can't complain. It's a beautiful day. So, everybody out there that uh, isn't familiar with who you are, Adam, can you give us a quick uh, bio, a quick rundown of who you are and what role you play in the precision rifle world? Sure, absolutely, no problem. I'm just a a small town farmer in western Kentucky. Um, For a few years, myself and my wife, Sabrina, we ran the Rock Castle Long Range Rifle Series, and we mainly just shoot in the southeast area uh, i've been shooting for about five years now hunted all my life and actually that's kind of what drove me into becoming a part of the precision rifle into the precision rifle scene was the the hunting side of things i just wanted to be a better marksman and uh, hone my skills and to be a better hunter nice so when you first started getting into precision rifle what were some of the uh, obstacles or things that you were, were looking at that you had to overcome. Absolutely. So, so where I live at, we uh, we farm row crop and we and we have some large open areas of bottoms that, that stretch out for a few miles and and mainly what we were hunting there is white-tailed deer. And the biggest problem that I had is I, I would see deer, you know, come out 500, 600, thousand yards away, and my limitations with my rifle and my abilities, I I couldn't make those shots on those deer and where we hunt at, it's just very, it's difficult to get a, a closer shot. And, a, you know, I'm off for taking a deer at a hundred yards, but the opportunities just aren't as, as high there where I'm at. And then when I started coming out West hunting, I, I realized real quick that to get in close range to an animal out here, it's, it's fairly difficult. And so for years, I really struggled to be able to, to consistently make shots at that distance. And I think most of it was just lack of knowledge um, and lack of gear, not knowing what to use and and not knowing uh, how to use it. And then uh, we kind of, I guess, just exploring that world of long-range shooting, you pretty much find yourself uh, learning from the competitive side of things, uh, whether, whether it be from a series or or just local area matches. And so it just, it all blossomed from the hunting side into that area and learning to make longer and longer shots. And as the years and as we practiced and we got better and improved our gear, uh, the, you know, a 500, 600, 700 yard shot is, is no different to me anymore than a two or 300 yard shot. Right. So it, it all pretty much stemmed from that. Very cool. Very, very cool. So, now, as a competitive shooter, what are a majority of the matches that you're going to? Uh, you know, we try to we try to travel around. We 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 mainly focused around the Kentucky area. We shot Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, Indiana, Ohio, uh, just kind of local things. And, and we're pretty blessed in the area that we're in. There's a there is actually a great deal amount of matches there. Uh, pretty much shoot anywhere. Anywhere within about five hours of my house, there's a there's a match every single weekend. Oh, dude, and that's so we, awesome! It is. I mean, they're they're packed, and I, and it you know it's it's a lot of club matches, uh, but even on the national side of things, there's a lot of two day matches, a lot of uh, hike and shoot like the mammoth style matches, 
those are all very i mean i consider like five or six hours fairly local to us in that side of things but yeah that's pretty much that's pretty much where we started at but it didn't take it didn't take us long at all to get uh, kind of burnt out because it seems like the matches in the area all have the same thing like whether you're in southern tennessee all the way down to northern florida that terrain and wind and temperature is all pretty much the same there's not a lot of difference in it and then the topography of the land is all pretty much the same so i found myself starting to get a little uh plateaued out on my abilities to see different mirages and read different winds and and uh the way that the the ballistics and things react in that those conditions and then when i started coming out west i realized real quick that the conditions totally changed the way that i look at wind and, and can read it and i focus a lot on mirage when i read the wind but out here when the there's not a lot of vegetation and you can't read the wind off that out here there because it, it doesn't do anything it doesn't move there's nothing you're just looking at snow-covered mountains so you you basically have to base everything off the mirage when it comes to reading wind out here and and it just it does seem like the wind is de definitely more uh it's straight it's usually one from one value constantly but it's definitely more but when i would look at mirage here i would see a six to eight mile an hour or a nine mile an hour for what i saw at home but that would actually be like a 15 here so the mirage takes up different types of uh, uh, like a it, like a form, the shape that it's in, and it moves different than it does at home. And so I had to learn when I came out here that a six or eight mile an hour looking mirage here is actually like a ten or fifteen, or or you know I tighten those numbers down a lot. But it's funny that just the way that we read mirage, I read I read the mirage off intensity, how much it moves. I don't really look at the angles that it comes off the ground. I actually look at how much it I see it moving in there and that's how I base my 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 miles per hour, my wind value on it. Okay. And it'll change a lot. Even it'll even change a lot from Kentucky to uh, you know, North Carolina and Georgia. Uh, Kentucky and it's all personal about how you look at it and see it and reference it. But a Kentucky five mile an hour may be an only one may be only a one mile an hour in North Carolina and it burned me a lot shooting matches trying to figure that out and I would overhold pretty much everything uh, just because of what I saw was totally different but that's the learning experience and that's really what drove that's what's driving me more to shoot more Midwest you know on the other side of the Mississippi River and then on out into these western areas is because I need that experience to make me a better hunter and a better all-around competitor in general out here so it, it's 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 just totally experience you know it absolutely is and i mean i haven't had the opportunity to shoot out east i've been to a couple of matches uh north carolina and so on and so forth but uh i went out there for the media side of stuff but you can definitely tell that there's a big difference between um terrain and atmosphere and so on and so forth we actually had uh, East Coast shooter Keith Baker uh, from Ohio came out and shot a match in Washington a couple of months ago, and he was surprised at how different it is 
um, in comparison to you know the, the the East Coast. Right. Yeah, I know I know Keith well, and, and he's a great guy, and he's a fantastic shooter. And I think we think we think about the set. We think the same way. Like, in order to grow yourself personally as a better, just a better marksman in general, there's just no way to do it unless you go experience that those type of environments and it, it's totally different like the things that i noticed different and even shooting in the in the eastern side it, it's not easy because what i see there a lot with wind is that it'll it'll compared to out west it'll switch more so like the values will bump up and down a lot faster right. sometimes five times within two minutes but what it'll also do is as it bumps up and down in value it'll switch angles on you and so you're trying to decide if it's a quarter value now and is it dropped down to one mile per hour or is it full value now and it's up back to six and that'll totally mess with you back and forth you almost like anymore i don't even i don't ask for wind calls from people and i really hate giving them and it's not it's not that i don't want to give you a wind call it's that likely under certain conditions if I, yeah it's just going to be wrong right. you know and i tell guys all of that so anymore like i tried not I, I definitely don't ask for wind calls anymore because it's burnt me way too many times. And I've learned that the odds of me hitting a target off my first round are a lot better if I just drop down, get behind the scope, look at look at the conditions, and then just make a assessment right then and break the shot. And I'll usually be a lot closer than if I took somebody. Now, sometimes you can take them. If the, if the conditions are really consistent, you can take wind calls. Uh, but it, it, anymore, like, it just it, you just can't do that. It especially when guys are only dropping five to six shots a match, you know, you've got to pretty much just read it on the clock and make, make that shot right then. Absolutely. So that's the difference in East coast shooting and West coast shooting out here. What I, what I've learned is that the wind direction will, will for the most part stay pretty close to the same and the values will kind of stay the same. They might pick up a little bit up and down, but you don't have to watch for those, those directional shifts as much. Uh, you just have to. You just can't be afraid to hold the 15 to 20 mile an hour winds, and I think that's what that's what gets a lot of shooters is they're just afraid to come off the plate. Uh, and you, just you can't be like that. Yeah, you just can't be like that. You've got to. You can't be afraid to hold the wind. Yeah, you have to trust in your. You have to trust in your data. Ab- absolutely. I, t- I tell guys all the time, you shouldn't be. I hear guys all the time saying they're holding edges of plates or or this and that. And I tell them, you should be focusing your eyeball on your reticle when you're shooting. And so, like, your crosshair, your actual center crosshair doesn't even matter at that point. I mean, if it's a if it's straight up hold, obviously, you're looking at your crosshair. Right. You're looking at your center hold. But, you know, if it's a 15-mile-an-hour wind and you're holding 1.5, you should be your eye should be focused on that 1.5 spot on your reticle, and that should be centered up on the plate, and that'll keep you away from holding those edges on those things. And that's just that's just how that's just fundamentally too. Uh, like if you're shooting a pistol, you don't look at the target when you're shooting at it. You look at your front you look at your front sight post. Right. And a rifle is actually similar because you're looking you should be looking at your reticle when you're breaking the shot, not at the target. Right. No, absolutely, absolutely correct. Now, one of the biggest things that I see as well um, is, and 
no offense to the East Coast shooters. We love you guys. A ton of friends out on the East Coast. But the East Coast shooters, to me, don't seem like they like to travel west very much. Yeah, I think you're right. And and I don't really know why. And it's like, you know, I'm I'm sure people know now that I'm running an NRL match at Rock Castle for the upcoming 2019 season in June. And, uh, it, you know, I think East Coast shooters have this stigma that the NRL is, is West Coast, when in fact it's, it's really not at all. It's actually Midwest. Like, Correct. It's really on just the other side of the Mississippi River. And if you actually look at the map where all the matches are, I mean, most of them are Texas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Iowa, you know, so it's right up the center of the state. I mean, there are definitely some, a few matches out west, but I think that's the stigma of it, and, and that might be the reason that it keeps people from, you know, wanting to travel is they think that they're actually going to California or Washington, and there's plenty of matches up in the Midwest to shoot uh, that are NRL, and, and I didn't realize that myself until we started looking into it, and uh, I don't feel like the availability of matches is an issue for me as far as traveling. And, it, you know, it's hot. It, I don't know a lot of guys want to shoot eight to ten matches a year, and, and I could do that, but I also want to hunt. And so of I've kind of got to decide what I'm going to do with my time. So, you know, Shabrin and I, we both like to hit three to five matches a year, and then we might take two or three trips out west and and do some different hunting. And, and the great thing about it is is you can double dip shooting matches because a match only takes a weekend. And so if you take a week vacation, that gives you an extra five days to hunt out here. And there's always a season going on out here of some sort, even if it's just fishing. Right. I mean, the, these it's it's unreal. I'm actually, while I'm talking to you right here, I'm sitting here looking over Alcova Lake in the center of Wyoming. I'm looking at the mountains, and it's weird because the other morning it was negative 23 degrees here, and we are trying to chase elk, and it was miserable. And now it's 50. It's almost <laughs> like Kentucky weather. But – it's just absolutely beautiful. I'm looking at the North Platte River, running around these mountains, and I almost want to go grab grab a fly fishing rod and, and fish. And I told Sabrina, I said, before we ever decided to run NRL matches or or, uh, or or try to shoot any matches out west this year, I said, you know, what's our plans for 2019? What do we really want to do? And, and we're both, we both decided we wanted to go out here and, and hunt and explore more in the west. You know, because you just got – there's just so much out here to do. There's, state state parks and national parks and it's amazing just the, the amount of time you can spend just not even doing anything but driving around right and so we decided that we would try to hit some matches up out here and we would try to spend some time antelope hunting and elk hunting and and prairie dog hunting and fishing and and that's honestly what i think drove me to move more west and shoot not only that i know i'm going to get a better experience out here shooting a match because I'm not just looking at pine trees on the side of a hill. I got, you know, mountains in the background to look at, and the winds are different. And and I, it might be the country boy in me, but I just I love seeing the animals out running around, even if I can't shoot at them. You know, just it's beautiful out here. So it, it is. really is. Wyoming. We had a match last year in Wyoming uh, at Gunworks, uh, Monster Lake, and that match we went to. Z- I shot that match. We went Friday to zero. And it snowed. Saturday, it rained, and it was just miserably cold. And then Sunday, 
it was 70 degrees. And it was like everybody was shedding layers and running around in T-shirts. And so that one weekend, we experienced everything. Snow, rain, wind, and the, you know, perfect sun. So right. it's... Uh, and that's what makes... That makes a match fun because, it, you know, it makes you be on your game. And, and you've got to, you know, you've got to deal with all those conditions. And in order to win a match like that or even compete well in it, You've got to be on your game and understand how those conditions are going to affect you. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's, I love it, man. I, I just love coming out here. I, I, I could live out here if I wasn't if I wasn't stuck on the farm at home. I, I, I could totally move out here, and I don't know. I guess I could catch butterflies or something like that for a living. <laughs> it's nice. Beautiful. So, you know, one of the biggest things when the NRL announced their 2019 season, a lot of – shooters on the east coast were a little uh, upset for lack of a better word that there weren't more east coast matches you right. having the furthest east coast match for the nrl in in 2019 what do you suggest that the nrl or the east coast match directors or east coast shooters do to help get more matches out east for those out want to participate i mean i don't know that there's you know we've been down this road so many years now i really don't know what what to to tell them anymore you know to to me it's all about value what am i getting out of the value of a series and uh and and for me like i'm a farmer so in the springtime i don't get to hardly shoot in the fall i don't get to hardly shoot so for me it came it comes down to the finales when it when is the finale and, and can I make it? And that's what makes me, that's what drives me as a shooter to shoot a series. Uh, on top of that, it's got to be, it has to have some value anymore. Like I can go on my farm and, and shoot all day long. Uh, but the chase of that trophy is what drives me to do it. But I also want to go to that finale. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't really know. I don't know how to say it, say it in a, in a wrong way, but. I guess MDs just have to decide what's the best value for the for the shooters, um, and I have no I have no issues with PRS or NRL or anybody. Uh, you know, I just try to. And every I think every MD should understand that you can only do what what's best for your local area. Right. You know, we can't. I can't control what you guys do in Colorado, and I can't control what goes on in Tennessee and Florida, or Ohio and up north. I can only worry about Southern Indiana and Kentucky area and try to give the shooters in that area a good opportunity. And that's the way I, that's the way I looked at it. And that's the main reason that I wanted to host the NRL match at rock castle this year. I just wanted to give the shooters another opportunity for a great match, uh, for the local guys. Cause you're always going to have guys travel in and chase points. Uh, anybody that's chasing points and, and going for that finale, they're, they're willing to travel for a mat to go to a match. Cause they have to be right uh, but as mds we just have to look at it locally and decide you know what can we do to better value a match for our, our shooters and you know i mean i just don't know it's, it's tough to say i know a lot of guys in the east uh want more nrl matches or i don't know that so they want more nrl matches but they want to see a better value in what they're shooting for you know when the when the season's over with 
did they just shoot a bunch of matches and that was it? And and some guys are some guys are fine with that. Don't get me wrong. I, I definitely find value in in shooting with my friends, right? And meeting people and spending time. I mean, that's that's honestly a big part of it anymore for me. Um, but I'm a competitive also, and I I want to shoot against the better shooters and and I I want them to show up to the matches. And it's getting to the point where there's just so many matches that it's very difficult for a lot of the good shooters to show up at everyone. None of us can financially afford that. It's just not possible. No, it's, it and, is very difficult. I mean, between, you know, the NRL and, and, and PRS, I think in 2018, there was literally a, a match or two matches almost every weekend. Right. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was difficult trying to decide which ones that Sabrina and I wanted to shoot this year or last year. And, and uh and i wasn't even able to make it to either one of the finales uh, i probably could have went to the prs finale but but uh i'm out here in wyoming trying to kill a trophy i can eat so <laughs> i i personally i'd go hunting any day of the week over shooting a match yeah and i'm the same way i definitely like shooting and i kind of do that in my free time but it's mainly to hone my skills but man it doesn't matter how how you try to marinate that first, second, or third place trophy, it doesn't taste the same as an elk. This I can is promise true. you. <laughs> but, but, yeah, man, I don't know really what to tell the, the East guys. Uh, you know, it, it's difficult, and it was a difficult choice for me to decide to run NRL. And, you know, there's a lot of history behind what this upcoming 2019 season. And it was really looking promising for East Coast shooters. And then, you know, it kind of turned down. And Tyler called me up, and he was like, "Yeah, hey man, if you know you're the only guy out, out east now, if you don't want to do it, don't do it." And and that's just not how I am, man. I decided I want to run a match for the NRL. And that's absolutely what I'm gonna do. Uh, nothing's gonna change my mind on that. And it's funny because I've never met you guys before. I've never met you or or Tyler before, but you guys have been straight straightforward and honest and upfront with me from the get go. And and honestly, have done more to help me get this match rolling than than uh, I ever expected to happen. So. I really well, appreciate. I really appreciate that as a match director. You know? Absolutely, and, and that's really what the NRL is all about: is you know getting good quality matches and events throughout the nation. You know, we've the NRL has never taken the stance where you can only do you know matches for the NRL. That's the exact opposite. You know, we want if you want to throw matches for you know. 10 different leagues or series, go for it, you know. Right. Uh, we just want to get more people out there shooting and experiencing the sport and having a good time. Right. You know, like, it, I, and I was talking to this with a friend of mine the other day, and, and we are talking about how to actually grow the sport. And we, and we really we discussed this for like two hours. And I came down to the thought that, you know, there's really only one way to grow the sport. And it, it, it can't stem from the PRS, and it can't stem from the NRL, and it can't stem from the match directors or the ranges. There's always going to be opportunities out there. there. It's built now, and it's going to happen. There's only one way to grow this sport, and that's to get your buddy to come to it. You've got to, exactly. as a shooter, you've got to get your buddy or your wife or your kids and bring them out and have them shoot a match. And, I, and the guy that I was talking to is a big fisher. He's a big fishing guy, and he said, he said, you know what? People drive by a lake every single day of their life, 
and they never cast a thought about throwing a fishing pole or throwing a lure in that lake. And I said they could fish if they wanted to, but the lake's there, the opportunity's there. And he said what really brings people into things like that is their their friends bring them into it. And so if I said, hey, Travis, you know, there's a lake that you pass by work every morning. Let's go get some fishing poles and go, you know, throw them in there and fish. And you might have never fished in your life before, but because I bring you in to do that, you do, and then, you you know, you might fall in love with it and bring a hobby, and you may not, you know. I brought a lot of people into the shooting sport, and some of them have stuck around to do it, and some of them haven't, but you have to show them the opportunity, and this is one of those sports that a lot of people are afraid to jump in on their own. There's people with that personality that are willing to say, hey, man, I'll go out there and embarrass myself, no big deal. And honestly, you're never embarrassing yourself when you come to match because we, we've all been there and shot our first match, and it's extremely – it's extremely um, – nerve wracking and um but you just have to bring your friends to it that's the only real way to grow the sport no organization no md no range no social media can actually really do it and get people boots on the ground it's got to be you got to bring your buddies to it it's the only way i see it being possible oh i agree i agree some of the you know some of the most rewarding experiences I've had in, in my personal life is because friends introduced me to something new. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I, I take my wife. My wife's totally my best friend. She's a, she's like a she's a dude in a woman's body, I'm telling you. It's, it's crazy. I got the unicorn, I'm telling you. Nice. But she, uh, she loves doing this. Uh, she'll go shoot matches all the time by herself and, and – uh, and I'm glad, and but she never would have. She ne- when we got married, she never shot a gun, she never hunted. Uh, she actually was a country girl, and she grew up on a farm. But uh, just her family was wasn't into that kind of stuff. And and uh, when she met me, and we started hunting and shooting more. And now, man, I'm telling you, she can break the bank. She she makes me reload more for her than I do for myself anymore. <laughs> Finally got her to where like she's got the reloading down now. But we built the two two three trainers, and we load a lot on the Dylan. And man, it saves me a ton of time. But for a few years there, it was it was a struggle to try to keep up with the reloading and the shooting and everything. But, uh, you know, it, a lot of guys just don't bring their wives out to it. And I know I understand that some women just aren't into that, but you just don't ever know. And, and it is definitely more expensive to have your wife into it. But, you know, if, it, if I could only be a, a top 50 shooter all my life but have my wife there by my side shooting with me, totally fine with that versus shooting by myself and being a top three right. because every time I get to go to a match it, if she is not with me the experience is totally different and I, I don't enjoy it as much and uh, I don't even enjoy shooting well I would much rather see her shoot and beat me and, and do well because I trained her and got her up to where she's at right now and then her practice took her the rest of the way and to see her excel on her own like that now is more fulfilling than than pulling any trophy or prize off the table that I could. And I really wish that guys would bring more of their kids and, and wives into the sport because, you know, it's it can totally be a family sport. Guys oh, are always going to be competitive. Same way with hunting. I mean, I'm out here in Wyoming by myself. Well, I'm with another guy right now, an older gentleman. We're trying to get him an elk. But, man, I wish my wife was out here right now and we were chasing elk all, all over this mountain. She, she drives me to chase these things like – my little chubby butt ain't going to walk all over these mountains unless I got her <laughs> behind me. And uh, shooting shooting sports are the same way. You know, it doesn't take much. Don't don't worry about being the best out there. Just 
just worry about having the, the memories and the experiences out of it. Yeah, that's the way I look at it anymore. I'll, I'll definitely like to shoot good, but anymore, I'm just I'm just there for the memories and the experience of it. You know, and at the end of the day, that's all that really matters because, you know, the trophies and all of this and that, whatever you pick up off the price table, that's nice. But those, those memories that you have that you get to share with your wife or your kids or grandkids, however, you know, however it works out for you, those are truly priceless. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I honestly think that's the, that's just the way that we, we will really be able to grow the sport, even if it's with your friends. You know, a lot of guys go hunting and things with their friends or play golf or whatever. The sport's the same way. You can bring your buddies into it, and we, and we try to do the same. And I loan out rifles and, and ammo and all the time just trying to get guys to start shooting and get into it. And it, and this is a, it is an addictive sport because once you usually, you know, if you once you get it, you know, you're in, you're buying three thousand dollar scopes and three thousand dollar guns trying to get into it but oh, yeah so, you know just need that little boost to get them going yep, uh, no i i couldn't agree more with you and that's actually a great segue into my next question um or topic which is border war right so so the border wars i gotta give all credit to jim c he definitely got this thing rolling uh, for what it is and what it's yes. began today. And then after 2018, uh, we started to look at, so the, the big problem with that, I the, the big problem with the club series is too many matches. And a lot of people say, well, there needs to be a lot of matches to grow the sport. Well, that's, that's true, but it's not true either because there's, there's all, there's plenty of opportunities, but there's no need to have a match every week because what ends up happening is, you have 10 to 20, 25 guys show up at a match. And a lot of the better shooters that would like to show up to it don't find the value in it because the competitive level is not there. I mean, I, I've heard, you know, everybody's, everybody talks about it, but I don't, I don't necessarily want to go shoot a match unless I know Keith Becker's going to be there or Dave Preston or, uh, or John Pinch or Vibbert or, or one of those guys from from the competitive side of it uh because i get to see how when we're all there together i get to see how i stack up against those guys and i know they're the best and uh when you start having too many matches those guys just can't show up to all of them uh and that and the club series is the same way i'm not saying that you know dave press is going to show up at every club match or vibbert is or pinch but there's still good guys out there that are shooting the club matches a ton of guys that have really gotten a lot of experience over the last two years that are coming up on the leaderboard and, and we're going to start seeing new names pop up there in those top 10 spots a ton of guys especially out here in the east coast i mean there's a lot of really good shooters uh, that have worked their butts off for the last two years and gotten a lot better at it and i want those guys to show up at the club level matches and so i can compete against them because i feel like you know that they're they're some of the best too uh, but when you only have 20 or so people show up, the competitive value of the match is gone at that point. It just, it's not there. And that's, that's kind of the way that, I don't know if it's just supply and demand of the market or that's the way it's going, but we're just seeing a ton of 500 yard and in matches and 10, 20 people showing up to them. And the competitive value of it for me is is just not there anymore to where, uh, is it, I go for almost practice anymore. Uh, 
even if I even if I win the match, I don't really feel like I accomplished anything because there just wasn't as many great shooters there to compete against. Right. And it's the same way. It's just it's a financial thing because we can't shoot a match every weekend. It's just not possible, uh, even on a club level. And I, and I don't, you guys probably don't have the, as much of this issue out west. I don't think you guys have club matches every weekend within a drive of your house. No, we don't, unfortunately. But but at some point, you probably will. Uh, because three year, three or four years ago, we didn't have that either. Uh, but every range started popping up and started having little PRS club matches. And and that's it, it's just grown to what it is now. And so, and I'll, and I'll talk to a lot of guys about this, about... Uh, Guy, especially guys that own their own property, and they need thirty. They they need more than thirty guys to show up. They need fifty or sixty guys to show up to shoot these matches. But when you have a match fifteen down, fifteen miles down the road, that's only got twenty people showing up to it at a lot cheaper of a rate. But they get the same value and points out of it. Then it really hurts these other bigger ranges that need more people to end up breaking even, basically, in a club match. Right. They just can't do it anymore. Uh, so when when that's kind of what a, a lot of the border wars things stem from. Uh, when Jim, when I was running the matches at Rock Castle, uh, I went to Jim and I said, "I really like what you're doing here." And we ran a lot of we ran a lot of bigger matches at Rock Castle. I'd only run like four a year, three or four, and and we'd have anywhere from eighty to one hundred and twenty show up at the match, and and it was just one day club matches, no prize tables, and just we'd have trophies, and that was it. And I said, I really like what you're doing here, and and keeping everything kind of limited as far as the availability. You're still encouraging growth, uh, and you're always going to have these these ten to twenty matches. They're not going to go away. Ten to ten to thirty people matches. They're going to happen. People are going to ha- have them, but we have to look at limiting point opportunities on them. I don't see a problem with having a match every week or every month, uh, but you really need to break it down to three or four during the year that can actually be considered for points. Right. And that, what that'll do is it'll it'll make all the shooters sign up for those matches. They can use the other ones for practice or whatnot, but it'll make all the shooters sign in for those points matches, and then we get that competitive value back out of it where we have 60, 80 guys and better shooters and we're all competing on the same day, under the same conditions, under the same course of fire, and fighting for those points and getting that competitive value back out of that match. And Jim's was a little bit like that. And then when we started talking about 2019 and and branching out regionally and having a regional series amongst our ourselves, what really made it, what really made me love the idea of it was that the region ran itself. So the Midwest or the Northeast or the Southeast or the Southwest, they were all border wars regions, but the region ran itself completely separate from all the other regions. And you can score matches differently. You can, you can uh, charge different rates. You can have, you know, the Southwest might not have, but 30 or 40 people show up at a match or the Northeast or wherever in the midwest or texas they may have 80 people or 90 people show up at a match but that's just 
because that's where that's where that location is and that's what that's the amount of shooters they have in that area but at the at the end of the series after we ran it all it doesn't matter if when we run a national finale for the border wars it won't and we take like what we're gonna do is we're gonna take like 20 to 30 of the top shooters that qualified in each region we're gonna have a finale for everyone and we're gonna meet somewhere centrally in the United States. It doesn't matter how you got there. Uh, we don't all have to be on the same point scoring system. Uh, the goal for all the regional directors should be to figure out how to get their best 20 or 30 qualified shooters to that national finale. And then once we shoot that national finale, it's a match on itself. We all start out at zero again and we shoot it against each other that one day under the same conditions and you know winners take all basically so it doesn't matter how you got your best 20 or 30 to that regional finale once we get there we're all shooting against each other on even playing field and it, even playing field because there's no points right. we're all starting at zero zero hits and to me that i love that idea uh because you know their meatball matches don't matter at that point no it doesn't uh, you know whether you have 20 or 30 showing up or whether your ranges are only 500 and in or 1200 and in doesn't matter because the ultimate goal is to bring those best 20 or 30 shooters to that national finale for the border wars and compete against the other regions and so and i and what i think this will end up doing is you know even us on the on the nrl side we've been talking about scoring and 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 things like that, and how, where how to lay out the matches, uh, meatball matches. It, very difficult to try to decide, to try to regulate target sizes and have matches on a similar playing field. That's very difficult to do. Right. Um, so I think what what if we could do this regionally with the border wars, each region will probably score themselves a little differently. And what this will allow us to do is maybe come up with a better way to find out what really represents who the better shooters are because that's what you want your scoring to do right you want it to represent who the best shooters are absolutely uh, and and i think this will give us better opportunities to test it you know on a smaller level and then maybe form it into a national side of things uh, you know it's just i don't really see any other ways to do it we've we've talked about you know that that forum where we were talking about scoring, man, that'll make your brain hurt trying to think about it <laughs> some ways. It, uh, it got it, to a point where I actually told Tyler and Brittany and, and the people behind the scenes working on it. I was like, my brain's done. You guys keep going. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same way. Like I have my inputs and then somebody say something. I'm like, well, man, my, my idea doesn't work at all. And I right. thought it was great to begin with. Uh, but it isn't, it isn't at all. It doesn't work. Uh, and that, it, and I think that'll help. I think when we're able to score things different ways, but at the end of the year, see that, see what worked. You know, which region really was the best region, and why were they? Was it from the scoring? Was it from the way they had their matches set up? Uh, what made them the better shooters at the end of the day, at the end of the year when we had the national finale? What what really was it? Why was that region the best shooters? Because we always we always see that argument. You know, oh, you know. Missouri has the best shooters, Texas has the best shooters, so on and so on. Well, why do they? You know, right. what what really makes them the best? 
there's nothing to compare it to right now. And I think this will give us a way to compare it and say, yeah, they really were the best this year. And, and this is why maybe our region needs to alter the way we score things or alter the way we run our matches. Maybe we're having too many matches and we have too many people at the top, or maybe we don't have enough matches and maybe we need to look at average scoring versus percentage scoring or something like that, because it does represent it better in a way to show who the better shooters are. So I, I like that. And, it, and that's what, that's what we're looking at for 2019 on the border war side of things is just independently ran regions in and the, the shooters and the match directors and the regional directors manage everything. I mean, I know there's like a brother sister relationship now with the NRL and the border wars, but honestly you guys don't, I mean, other than tracking scores and helping with memberships, uh, the, the rules and input, you guys don't have any influence on that at all with us. No. And I like that. Yeah, and we, I don't, I don't and you probably don't want to, you know? No, I, I don't. <laughs> Honestly, I absolutely. I mean, you nailed it on the head. The NRL is is here to support border war in an administrative effort to help each region grow the way that they want to grow the sport in their region. You know, so, you know, marketing help and administrative scorekeeping. Uh, things of that nature, the NRL is going to handle all of that. But we're not making any of the rules. We're not forcing this upon any person or region. It's going to grow organically like it has for the past two years. Um, and and <coughs> it's just going to be a ton of fun. I'm sorry about that. I've, been, I've had a cold the last three days. And I'll tell you what, walk, walking in these mounds with a, a head coat is not fun when you're from Kentucky and like 300 elevation altitude, I've been sucking air bad. Sorry about that. Apple cider vinegar, honey, and lemon. Mix that tonic together and you're good to go. Is it? I think I've drank like four bottles of Dayquil in the last three days. No, forget the Dayquil. I'm telling you, apple cider vinegar, uh, the tablespoon of honey, uh, squeeze half a lemon in it and add some water to dilute the bitterness and that that'll kick that cold pretty quick can you put any liquor in that too like kind of smooth it out oh yeah baby okay (laughs) a little bit of whiskey yeah there you go well we drink bourbon in kentucky bourbon yep there you go (laughs) so but yeah so that's that's where the border wars is is headed in it and i like that that it's just it's regionally ran and honestly a, a club series needs to be like that um, you know, Travis and Tyler can't, they can't tell us what's best for Kentucky. No, they just can't. You, you just don't understand the demographics that we shoot in down here. And I can't tell you what's the best for, uh, Vegas and California. I don't have a clue what your demographics are, Right. Uh, but I understand, I understand, uh, Kentucky and, and Southern Indiana very well. And, and, uh, that's what my efforts are going to be focused on this year on the club side is to give the guys in that area of better value uh, I'd absolutely like to see uh, in the Northeast is is basically Kentucky and Virginia uh, and then north up through the New England area and I'd absolutely like to see more matches uh, come on board with us and and follow this and give the shooters something valuable to shoot for this year uh, but I can't control what other match directors do in other areas by any means and uh, it took me a while to understand that 
uh, I can sit there and think about it all I want, but all I can really do as myself is control or um, help give to what my local shooters have here. Right. Uh, and I think the Border Wars is the best opportunity for them to get something valuable and what they're putting the effort into and spending the, the time and money in. And so that's what that's what we're going to do this year. Uh, it's going to we're going to start out small uh, and have limited matches in order to keep that competitive value up on the matches. I don't want to see uh, I don't want to see 400 matches a year. At yeah, all. I, neither I'd do I. I'd rather see I would rather see 400 people at 10 matches versus 10 people at 400 matches. I agree because I don't want to track scores for 400 matches. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm with you, uh, but I just think on the on the competitive side of that, and honestly, I really think that's why we all shoot. I think we all shoot to be competitive. I know a lot of guys will say, oh, I'm just out there to have, have fun with my friends and stuff, and, and – uh, but I think deep down we all shoot to be competitive against one another, one another, and that's why it's called competitive rifle shooting. Exactly. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more, sir. If you if you take away that competitive value, uh, you're not really shooting for anything anymore. You know, uh, e- even a prize table or a, or a trophy is not the same without that value of of competing against your peers. And I think we all. I know every one of us. I know we do. We look at certain shooters and we say, I'd like to beat that guy. It's not that you have anything against that guy. It's that you know he's good. Right. And you want to be at that level and you want to beat him and you want to beat him consistently. Uh, And then once he, you know, once you get to that level, he's going to start watching you and say, you know what? I got to watch this guy. He's he's at my level Uh, or, or whatever it is. I don't want that to sound cocky or anything, but I honestly think that's what drives us personally to shoot. Um, it's not a prize table. Uh, it's nothing like that. I think it's just that inner inner drive. As human beings, we we are competitive. We have to be. Uh, society's changed a lot to where we aren't as much, but uh, I think what we need to be is that's just in my in my opinion that's what the series needs to be based on. It's competitive value. You want to go out there and be the best. Uh, and a lot of people know that, that they can't put in the time to practice or or financially do it but we all have our limitations but we can always shoot to the best of our limitations uh, and that competitiveness just drives us there so that's where I that's where I see the border wars going this year I really I know nothing good happens overnight and so I know it's going to take some time to get it get it rolling but I, I think three or four years down the road uh, shooters will see exactly what I'm seeing and and you're going to get burnt out and doing the same old things and not finding values in it and then you're going to want to seek something that gives you a reason to go out there and do it and I really think the border wars is going to be the side the club side of things that drives you to go out and shoot as a as an individual so that's kind of that. it's an awesome lack of a better term proving ground as well because it gives opportunity for a new shooter who's never competed in a match before the opportunity to go out there and learn in a very it's competitive but non-stressful competitive nature like the two-day nationals can be 
Right, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's definitely it, like I never. Uh, whenever I have new new people that want to get into the sport, I, I never try to get them to go shoot a two day match for. I want everybody to go shoot national matches because uh, it's great. It's great experience. Uh, but I always try to push them towards these one day matches. Right. To kind of get them broke in and to where they're not overwhelmed, and you can kind of sit back and help them a little bit, and you're not you're not just focused on your shooting. You know, you're able to get out there and and take your time to actually help them and not be so uh, centered on yourself when you're shooting. And a lot of us get like that. Like I, I never try to be non-personable when I'm shooting a, a two-day match, but uh, I, I, mean, I just get, yeah, I know Keith gets the same way. We all get the same way. And at the end of the match, you're like, are you mad at me, man? He's like, nah, man, I just – just in the zone. I was like, well, yeah, you beat us ball by 15 points. You were in the zone, dude. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's just the way it is. That that's, that's the competitive value that I'm talking about. That's that's the drive that gets you that point. So the one-day matches kind of let you step back away from that mindset a little bit and, and help out people and teach them and let them learn. Uh, but on the, on the same side of that, you can still have a good competitive match Right. at, at the same time. It's funny that you uh, said that about uh... – Keith, because when we were at that match in Washington, um, I can't remember exactly what the situation was, but he came up to me afterwards and he, and he's like, you know, I'm not mad at you, right? I'm like, no, I know. <laughs> he, he he was worried that I thought he was mad at me because I, I did something or said something to him maybe, you know, during a, during a stage briefing or getting ready to go through a course of fire or something. Um. And I was like, no, dude, I totally get it. You are so focused right now. I don't even matter. Just do your thing. I'm I'm happy you're here, and I'm happy you're having a good time. Yeah, so. man, I th- you, you do see that when you when you get into those level of shooters, and I, I don't blame a bit. You know, guys spend a ton of money to go out here and compete in this sport, and, and then the competitiveness is what drives us to do it. Yep. And, uh, you know, I sit back, and I, and I watch guys. Keith's an, an awesome shooter. And it really hasn't been into the sport that long, but he's just, man, he's just solid. He's just really good. Uh, and and I sit back and I watch him, and and I totally get it. You know, there's a there's a ton of guys out there that are just like that. I mean, and as soon as the match is over, Keith's gonna go eat a steak and have a beer with you, and oh, yeah. and he's gonna he's gonna bullcrap. But it's just that mindset. And I know a lot, a lot of new shooters will come into a two day match and be like, that dude's stuck up or whatever, but he's. It's not at all, man. You just you just aren't there yet to experience that. Which you know, it, like I said, Keith's only been in the game for a couple of years. I've only been in it for a few years. It will not take you long if you put in the time and the practice to get to that level. Right. Uh, it's definitely a this this game's definitely a game one on experience. You're not going to come in and win your first match you ever shoot. It's not going to happen. No. But it doesn't take you long to get better at it either. It's all uh, uh, practice, hard work, and dedication. Right. So, uh, so that the border war side of things—that's that's kind of the way we're kind of going to grow it. Just kind of slow, get it going. It's going to grow on its own because I know people are going to see the same value out of that I see, and and they're going to realize that that's where we're headed with that. Yes, sir. So, we're just about out of time for the show, and one of the last questions that I ask for everybody on the show is besides a piece of rifle gear that you take to a match, like I don't 
don't want to hear about a scope or a Kestrel or, or anything that is standard equipment, what are the three things that you must have to compete? All right. I'll tell you Personal. what, I'm going to alter that. I'm going to alter that a little bit because you always have guys talking about the matches. I'm going to give you it for hunting. When I come out west and I hunt, I'm going to give you three things that I bring with me that I always have with me and save right. for the matches. So on the on the hunting side of things, I always have a jet bull because I like food. And yep. I bring jet bull and dry food so I don't have to come off the mountain. That's number one. Uh, number two is always, and this probably is your shooting gear, but I always have a tripod with me because you never know how you're going to have to take a shot. Yep. That's, That's definitely number one. two. Can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. And then uh, the last thing that I bring or that I have with me is Onyx, uh, Onyx Maps hunting app on my phone. I bring that out here with me because... Uh, there's a ton of public land out here, and there's a ton of private land, and you aren't sure always what you're on. You can use that app on your phone to decide where you're hunting at. And honestly, a lot of the hunting stuff that I use is the same stuff that I use on the on the match side of things. I, I usually take the jet bull with, to the match with me, too, to hunt with. Um, but one thing I want to hit on real quick on the hunting side of things is I hear guys all the time, especially on the east side, say, east, east of Mississippi River, say, man, I just don't have nowhere to hunt at. Well, dude, come out west because there's tens of millions of acres out here that you own because it's public land and you pay for it in taxes. Come out here and experience it and and utilize those opportunities. It'll blow your mind, the opportunities that are out here, and it's not expensive to come out here and hunt at all. You can come out here and hunt prairie dogs for 50 bucks, uh, and you can have a blast, or you can hunt antelope for 300 in Wyoming. It's not that expensive at all to do, and... I'm telling you, once you do it once, you're going to come back year after year and find something new to do. Uh, so you're not you're not limited to just hunting in Virginia or Kentucky or wherever. Millions of acres out here that are yours to do with what you want to and and hunt on and uh, don't pass your life up not coming giving yourself the opportunities to come out here and do it. I agree. And while you're out here for a hunt, join a match. Absolutely. That's the best part of it. Double dip on them. There you go, brother. Well, I appreciate you taking your time, especially out of your vacation hunt that you're on right now to speak with us this morning. Um, I can't say thank you enough. I truly appreciate you and I wish you all the best. And I look forward to actually getting to be able to hang out with you in 2019, sir. Absolutely. Same to you guys. I can't wait to come out here and, uh, and uh, learn some Western wind with you guys. Well, Mikasa Sukasa, meaning whenever you're out here, hit me up and we'll make it happen. My house is yours. Same, same for you. Awesome, sir. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Good luck on the rest of your hunt, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you.